We know that the current situation with COVID-19 and the measures being taken to prevent the spread will be particularly difficult for people currently living with abuse. In this podcast, Joe Silver speaks to Deputy Chief Constable Louisa Rolfe of West Midlands Police about how police are responding to domestic abuse during this crisis. DCC Rolfe led the UK police response to HMIC's report, Everyone's Business, which focused on improving support for domestic abuse victims and survivors. She is also the National Police Chief's Council Lead for Domestic Abuse. Please note, this podcast was recorded remotely as we are following government advice and working from home. We apologise for any breaks in the recording and reduce sound quality. Hi Louisa, thank you very much for spending um, some time with us today. Uh, We're really grateful because we know that um, there are lots of victims around the country that are thinking about how this impacts on the police and their ability to um, respond to those um, people that are uh, uh, hopefully um, accessing support from police. So what I'd like to do is um, just talk about, firstly, your your role within the, um, the police and then just tell us a little bit about what your challenges are through this uh, coronavirus period that we're staring in the face of, really. Okay, thanks, Joe. So, so my role is the National Police Lead for Domestic Abuse. So my day job is to work as the Deputy Chief Constable in West Midlands Police. Um, in terms of COVID-19, we're working really hard to ensure that every force um, is able to prioritise domestic abuse, that we're really clear when um, somebody calls us and needs the police for emergency calls, we'll be doing everything we can to preserve our response to victims who are in danger and need us quickly. For non-urgent calls, at the moment, we're still responding as we always have. Um, Some officers, you know, if if somebody calls and tells us they're in isolation because a family member is affected by the coronavirus, then we will be sending officers with the appropriate kit and equipment. Um, But we will be responding to domestic abuse as usual. Now, of course, if we become more stretched and we have a greater role in responding, then we might need to deal with some victims differently. But we'll always be assessing the risk when they call. So it's really important if people are frightened, that they tell us they're frightened, they tell us what they're frightened of, and they describe the risk that they're facing to us really clearly so that we can respond. Now, if they find they're not in a position to make that call, I think they should look online, um, not only for the support that brilliant charities like yours can provide, but also we have web chat services, we have online reporting, and, and forces will be looking out for calls from victims of domestic abuse, but also looking for that online contact. Um, and people can make silent 999 calls as well. The guidance is available online. Um, if you're unable to talk, but you can press three nines, um, stay quiet, cough, and then press um, five. And a police BT will put the call through to the police and the police will know what to do. Oh, that sounds really reassuring. Um, and obviously it's, it's early days and the police are, have got a huge job um, to be contending with, but understanding that domestic abuse is a priority. And I think I just would like to urge people who are listening to this, sometimes as um a victim of abuse, you are used to minimising um, your situation. I would just say really a, a big plea that now is not the time to minimise your situation. If you need the police, you need to be very clear about what's going on for you so that they can um, risk assess on the 
on the fact that you're dealing with rather than you trying to underplay it um just because that's how sometimes victims are responding and used to responding to keeping themselves safe so just a big plea that you share with the police when you need them all the information that you can so they can understand the situation you're in um i suppose uh, early days but i know that uh, the um coronavirus or covid-19 is starting to have an impact on um you know uh, suspects or uh, abusive perpetrators behavior with the police um we're having some information around where the family are, are divided and um um one partner's got the children and uh they're not set, they're saying that the children can't go back um home because of the covid-19 and they're isolating this is leaving um victims in really difficult positions where they can't um access their children and uh, you know there is no magic wand to those situations but it's just for us to share with you the kind of information that's coming through our um survey that we've done uh with victims and also our communications with domestic abuse services that um offenders suspects are using this as a way to uh control uh in their in their relationships i just wondered if you'd seen any of that through uh, the police uh involvement so we are monitoring with forces across the UK the, the volume of calls coming in about domestic abuse and the nature of those calls. And we have already noticed that there, whilst actually calls have not gone up significantly yet, but I, I think they might as self-isolation and the lockdown continues, but whilst they haven't gone up so far, we have noticed some trends of more calls about difficult challenges around child access and particularly where there was shared custody um, and also calls about financial pressures. So we're doing what we can to give victims the right support. Um, I think the government guidance is now really clear that children under 18, where they live across two households, can see both sets of Nothing in the guidance, you know, unless people are following the rules because somebody in the household has coronavirus and needs to self-isolate. And I think that guidance from Public Health England is really clear as well, then there is no reason why children under 18 shouldn't either return to to a parent or, or visit a parent. Now, if in those circumstances victims um, believe that the, their partner, abusive partner, is controlling or, you know, demonstrating coercive behaviour and exploiting the situation, then they need to let us know. Um, you know, report that kind of behaviour to police. We don't want perpetrators to exploit the circumstances. We, we have had one or two cases in my own force. I spoke to investigators the other day. They'd have one or two offenders say, you can't arrest me because I've got COVID-19. Um, we can. We have the right equipment. We have custody units dedicated to deal with offenders who may be infected, and we've got the right healthcare support. Thank you. That is also reassuring because um, it is just really good to get the facts out there because I'm sure in these um, relationships, these myths are being um it's quite widely that, you know, there's no point phoning the police. Well, there absolutely is a point uh, phoning the police, and they are still coming uh, when you call them on 999, and they have got the equipment to deal with um, and arrest if needed. 
perpetrators of domestic abuse. I think that's really important to, to keep saying out loud. Um, I'm also thinking about uh, the silent one nine 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 call and um, thinking about uh, the not urgent. So where there's no crisis uh, that you phone nine 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 for, but you know that um, you're living in a very um, abusive household and you might not see it as an emergency and you might have an hour while uh, your partner has gone shopping or for a run or to the chemist for whatever reasons. I wonder how we can manage that with a conversation um, with your non-critical kind of call handlers so there's safe times to ring and um, stuff. Is there any opportunity for victims to have that conversation? There is. Um, I mean, we need to be aware that realistically those teams might find the presence increased, but at the moment we're still dealing with 101 calls. Um, there's lots of advice on our website. There are links to things like the National Domestic Abuse Helpline. And I think yeah. if victims don't feel they're in immediate danger, but they might want help and advice, I'd say have a look at you know the, the helpline numbers, the charity website, but also if you, if you need to call the police because you think um, you know you're a victim of crime and we can help you, then please please get in touch. Um, if you if you don't have an opportunity to call, um, look on police websites. Most forces have an ability to get in touch via web chats or or reporting things online as well. Oh, excellent! And that web chat would be another route, wouldn't it, to manage that communication um, in a safer way than. Uh, than phoning the police, obviously. Um, that's really good um, advice. Um, so what happens with the kind of infrastructure around those calls? So we know that um, the police are leading the way, really, with multi-agency work, uh, responding to those at most high harm and, and risk of, of domestic abuse. Are those infrastructures going to be... Um, and processes can be impacted whilst, you know, we are, we are all aware that the police have got um, a lot to manage at this time. I was just wondering about uh, multi-agency conferences, for instance, and how they're being impacted. So I know that we're already working with um, partners for things like multi-agency risk assessment conferences, the MARIC meetings that are regularly held by forces. Um, we are already seeing an impact in, you know, in our own workforce. A number of police officers are self-isolating um, because they're following the guidance, because yeah. they're family members with symptoms or symptoms themselves. Um, and that's affecting our ability to deal with the day-to-day -day demand. But at the moment, the demand that's coming into the police is down a little bit as well. So actually, at the moment, we're managing those things. We're working with partners in other agencies, like social care teams, children's services, to ensure that we can maintain a way of managing those multi-agency risk assessment conferences and also keeping in touch with charities. Now, we'll do everything we can to maintain that service. And I know it's something that partners are thinking about as well. So um, the Department for International Development looked at the impact of violence against women and girls um, in both China and Italy. And um, it sort of gathered some really useful advice about the impact yeah. and what those might be. And I've shared that with every police force lead, but I've also shared it through the national police structures managing COVID-19 to ensure that, you know, police will be working with other agencies like local authorities 
in managing the response to COVID-19. So I've ensured it's also gone out through those channels. So, for example, local authority leads can think about how they sustain and manage refuge services and victim support services. Thank you, Louisa. And I suppose that links quite nicely to what can we do. So we be in um, the people that come to work to support um, victims of domestic abuse and challenge perpetrators' behaviour and support them and their whole family and their uh, children. I mean, from a police perspective, what can the sector do to um, support the police at this kind of unprecedented time? So I, I think um, if things get more challenging for us, for us, we might be leaning on you a little bit more with that advice and guidance to victims. Um, for those if they can't get through on 101 or they're finding they're having to wait for police, um, what you can do is if you if you come across cases where you think that people are in significant danger, then please chase us up and, and tell us we've missed something because I think we'd really value your support with that. Um, but for victims who are not in immediate danger or not facing, you know, abuse and it and it's proximate, if you can give people advice and support and and you know, make sure that not only police but other agencies are one aware of those cases where they can support people where victims or where perpetrators need to be arrested. And, you know, we're working with other people like the CPS, um, the court services to look at how we manage things like um, and sustain things like the, you know, processing and prosecution of perpetrators, how we manage things like bail, because obviously um, if, if people are isolating, you restrict your opportunities for them to move to other addresses, but, that, but we will be using bail, and we're just thinking about how we give guidance to forces to do it effectively and safely at the moment. Thank you very much, and that kind of links to our... Um, role anyway, and all of the <clears throat> chief execs from special services that we are talking to, thinking about how we can manage the situation and, if you like, try and avoid using um, the police for those non-critical um, cases, and also thinking about the roles of friends and family. So, where we are um, thinking about a scenario where a family live together through this. Um, We've been uh, urging victims to be brave and disclose that there might be trouble in their house and giving neighbours um, permission uh, to phone the police um, on their behalf and also thinking about the uh, links with their family, so uh, agreeing some code words with their nearest and dearest that they can contact that can also do that on their behalf. So trying to really prioritise, you know, when a crisis, when you need the police to uh, come to the house and uh, when you can, uh, just, you know, look for support and advice elsewhere. And that's why we've put the safety plan um, together for uh, the victims in those situations and their children. Um, so hopefully that will be uh, really useful. And I was just um, wanted to... Um, Go back to you know uh, police forces and uh, how you're managing. Because as an ex-police officer myself, I can't imagine how you would do that normal day job, which is you know a test at best, really challenging work. Um, how that might feel now? I'm just wondering how your police officers um, in your force are kind of feeling about the, the task at hand? So 
So I think it's tough, but I'm really proud of them because I think most people join the police service because they want to help people when they're in need. They want to be there when things are tough. And this, I think, is a real test for policing. But I'm really, really proud of how people are responding to it and how, you know, how many officers who might be self-isolating at the moment but are calling us and saying, how soon can I get back to help? Um, so we're seeing a really sort of positive approach from our officers and staff. And, and thankfully at the moment, I think the public are really helping because we're getting less calls about this. So we really can focus on um, important things like supporting the vulnerable people with domestic abuse challenges. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's, it's tough, but actually I'm proud of what we're doing and, and I'm really proud of the officers and staff out there working and, and, and a big part of what they want to do is to support the NHS as well. Thank you, Louisa. And I mean, whoever's listening to this, what I will echo what I'm going to say. It's just a big, a big thanks to you and your colleagues for, you know, this is hard and brave stuff that we're asking of people. And if we didn't have um, police officers that were all of those things and more, uh, we'd be in a really bad place. But um, just a big thank you, really, from um, victims who will rely on you um, throughout the coronavirus and after. Um, uh, so, yeah, just like to end there, really. Thank you very much. Well, thank, thank you. And I'm, I'm so impressed by how much the the sector has stepped up the business continuity approaches you've got are really impressive so so really really um glad for all the work you're doing and really grateful thank you